So I'm here with Tom Emanuel, or should I say Reverend Tom Emanuel. So how's it going? I am doing well. Uh, tonight is tonight, tonight for me. Yep. I know it's not for you. Uh, halfway around the world, but uh, all's well. All's well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, look, thanks for coming on. I um, Yeah, I was interested to have you on because um, I guess I'd seen your Twitter and... Um, you know, like so many of these debates and discussions people have these days sort of comes out of some kind of social media space. And um, yeah, I was just really interested in your, uh, you know, engagement with Lord of the Rings, Tolkien, etc. And I uh, thought it would be interesting to have you on. And I guess, I guess it, on some level, this discussion is sort of motivated by recent developments in, you know, in reception to, to the Lord of the Rings, especially, and in particular, uh, an article that was released uh, i guess a couple of months ago now in um in polygon the, the queer readings article which i I'm, i think you would have seen right i, I think I, I saw you tweeting about that um I, I was lucky enough actually to be one of the uh, beta readers for that article oh uh, by right molly okay. oster tag yeah. it's a yeah. really really lovely oh great yeah yeah so um i i read that and then yes i saw that you were um sort of interacting with it and you know I, th- I found it quite convincing and interesting and of course there was a bit of a backlash to it from some quarters and um i guess i was just interested in part in talking to you about why that might be um you know and and sort of reception to tolkien and lord of the rings in general and what you sort of think about that going forward so so i'm looking forward to that so if anyone hasn't read that article by the way it's um entitled queer readings of the lord of the rings are not accidents um and and as tom says it's by molly ostertag and that's on uh polygon the sort of um the the website so check that out and i'll put a um i'll put a link to that and i'm also hoping to have molly on at some stage so we'll see how that goes but um um yeah that would be that would be awesome as well so check that out if you haven't but i guess you know a question i i start with fairly fairly frequently when I have somebody on is um, how do you view the state of, of Tolkien studies um, at present thinking about it as a particularly um, scholarly area but you know if, if you want to take that in a in a different direction and in, into sort of more general in more general terms that's fine too but but yeah how, how would you how do you see Tolkien studies at present? <laughs> So I I come at Tolkien studies uh, in my professional work now more as a minister uh, in the United Church of Christ. It's a progressive denomination here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so I've been out of the academy for a couple of years. And so a lot of what I think about in terms of Tolkien and Tolkien studies is you know is reception. Is how does how does our reading of the text change, and how is the uh, I mean, particularly in terms of the different lenses of scholarship we're bringing to it. You know, Tolkien studies has historically been uh, described even by its proponents as it's it's a little siloed. Sometimes we focus a little too uh, intensely on Tolkien alone or or don't read him in conversation with with wider literary currents or wider uh, social and and analytical and, and et cetera, et cetera, currents. And one of the things that I'm loving about Tolkien studies now and about Tolkien discourse in general is the way that we are seeing more and more uh, diverse voices coming to the table, more diverse ways of reading the text, not just from a critical perspective, although with as with any great work of art, there's plenty to, to critique, but... Uh, it's it's loving critique. It's people who have loved these books who are encountering them uh, uh, anew through the lenses of of gender and and race and post colonial studies. And not to say that these things haven't been going on in the field for a while, but I feel like at this particular moment we are seeing how the how uh, academic discourses in Tolkien studies are now trickling down or not even trickling down but are now uh, more widely available to fans more widely available to people who may not necessarily be uh, literary academics um, I think the the article by Molly Ostertag is a perfect example of you know that's in polygon that's in a what is fundamentally a, a video game website right mm. uh, but it's introducing people to these ideas who haven't necessarily been involved in these conversations at say the Tolkien society or the the various um, uh, you know, 
the, the literary journals the, mm. the, are, are having. And I'm really, I'm really enjoying that. I mean, on, on Twitter, one of the reasons I joined Twitter in the first place is to go find other Tolkien fans and the quality of conversations and the diversity of interpretations you find, I think is just so exciting. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, <clears throat> I tend to agree. Um, and, and as we've already mentioned, that article is a great, a great example of this trend. Um, I guess, you know, I'm just fascinated by the whole the, the whole discourse that this article um, produced, and not only that, but I don't know if you saw on various Tolkien Reddits recently, <laughs> um, there was discussion over this new book, um, The Nature of Middle Earth, which has been um, released only actually a few days ago now, mm-hmm. and um, I'm not sure if you've had a chance to look at that yet, <laughs> but um, you know, there are some uh, there are some notions there about. Um, sort of elvish relationships, right? Um, so uh, primarily this is relating back to the Silmarillion material. But, right. um, you know, and, and there was there's one uh, footnote in the book um, particularly which is not, um, you know, is not directly suggesting um, same-sex relationships, but, you know, it, it perhaps opens the door to that. And um, there was a discussion going on, um, you know, as to whether that involved, um, you know, just feelings of love or sex or whatever. Um, and and indeed, on a couple of the Reddit um, threads, the author or the, sorry, the editor, um, Carl Hostetter yes. of the book, got involved in the discussion very much against that position. So, um, you know, even people who are very much involved in the sort of publication of, of Tolkien's work, um you know, are uh, are very interested, obviously, in in shaping the discourse and shaping the way we receive Tolkien. So, um, you know, although I'm 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 very sympathetic and and find much to, um, you know, agree with in in this particular, um, shall we say, I, I guess, queer reading, um, especially uh, um, with regard to Frodo and Sam, as we'll come to. Um, you know, I'm I'm fascinated by the this blowback. So, what do you think about how? you know, especially when editors are getting involved in the discussion directly on Reddit threads, right? Um, and saying, no, you're wrong. Um, this is not what Tolkien meant. This is not what I meant, etc." Um, you know, how should we take that? How should we interact with that going forward, you know, as, as readers suggesting perhaps new and, and, or at least, you know, readings that, that are now more widely available to, to more people. I come at this particularly from from the perspective of somebody who spends a lot of time with texts that mm. um, you know uh, people people have a habit of interpreting in some wildly different ways for some very different <laughs> theological and political and spiritual purposes, mm. and so I have always taken an approach to uh, the Jewish and Christian scriptures. Um, I draw from uh, the Jewish tradition of interpretation, which there's a saying that Torah has 70 faces. Mm-hmm. Um, and, what, and what the rabbis mean by that is that this this beautiful book that is of, of so uh, important and of such deep value and meaning to so many people, uh, every line of it, every story is has multiple interpretations. Not only can you interpret it in multiple ways, but in fact, until you have done so, until you have allowed multiple voices to speak within the text itself, you have not fully understood it. Mm, if you mm. attempt to limit it to a single fixed meaning that is, uh, that, that is fixed in time, in space, in context, then you're not understanding what the purpose of Torah, or I would say more broadly, the Bible, is mm. and and that is that's the that's the hermeneutic that's the way that I tend to read Tolkien very much the same is that we are looking at a text that if it's not religious it's certainly um, of of uh, semi religious uh, I mean for a lot of people this is one of our foundational texts I mean certainly mm. for me it's I sometimes joke that I say I went to you know I went to graduate school for theological studies and I still know more about Middle Earth than I do about <laughs> ancient Israel. Um, <laughs> And that's that's one hundred percent true because this book is so important to me and to so many people, and it inspires that kind of uh, zealousness from from wherever your inter- interpretive uh, perspective mm. is, um, and and so I my take on Tolkien and in, in literature in general, but particularly literature like this that has such a devout uh, meant in the various sense of the word fandom, mm. is that. 
whether... First of all, we can't exactly be sure what Tolkien meant any more than we can be sure what the uh, what the authors of biblical texts meant. Mm. Uh, what we have is the text. And with, with Tolkien, of course, it's more modern. So we have interviews and we have letters and that sort of thing. So we have a little bit more of a, you know, the, the mind behind the material. And that I don't think that is limiting to the interpretations we can make, the meaning we can find. I don't think Tolkien would have wanted us to simply limit our interpretations hmm. to uh, some sort of fixed intent that he had. And what would Tolkien have thought of these interpretations? I don't know. He died in 1973. He was born in the late 1800s. Like, I don't know what Tolkien would think about <laughs> Twitter, let alone anybody having debates about his work on it, right? Um, <laughs> So, so, so I think it's, um, yeah, I, I think, I think it's rather silly to try to, well, it's not really rather silly. It's understandable, but I, I certainly wouldn't come down in favor of saying, oh, well, Tolkien meant, must've meant this, or for that matter, the editor must've meant this. And therefore we cannot have this, this breadth of experience and this, these ways for people to find themselves in these texts. Mm, Cause mm. that's, I don't think that's, that's how, I mean, certainly not how the Bible works. And I don't think it, it, that's how, how the really great stories, the ones that really mattered, Mr. Frodo, um, <laughs> I don't think that's how they work. Mm, mm, for sure. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see going forward with this new book, um, how, you know, how that's integrated into um, discussions about this question of, of queer readings, because it seems like there's quite a bit of material in there that, that people are, um, people are talking about have you had a chance to look at that yet or or not not really <laughs> i've i've seen some excerpts of mm, uh, mm. The, the nature of middle earth and, and particularly some of those relating to, mm. to questions of gender and sexuality okay. and the kinds yeah. of relationships in question yeah, yeah. and uh, i mean my, my 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 take on them is simply that um gender and sexuality and 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 love considered broadly not just as as a romantic love but love in middle earth is is more um more expansive than i think a lot of our our modern definitions <laughs> of it and i think that's uh you know i'm rereading the silmarillion for the mm, first time mm. since graduate school and i'm <laughs> struck again by uh, uh the language around the valar mm. and the Maiar and how they they take on the forms of, of male and female, of masculine and feminine, but that's not because they are those things in any fixed sense. It is because mm. they're ways of communicating their, their essential uh, isness, their being, right? It's, it's, yep. it's more, it's a performance. It's a performance of a particular kind of, uh, of energy in the world rather than it is a, uh, oh, well, Manway is a man and and Yavanna <laughs> is a woman that's not that's not what we're talking about here and and i love that like i uh, every time i reread tolkien i'm struck anew by these these little uh, almost asides that are like oh but there's a whole there's a whole mm. there's there, there's an opening there for so much um for so much yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah no absolutely yep um no that makes sense um i've i, I did a bit of a reread of the silmarillion myself um yeah fairly recently and um yeah, it is a capacious text. Um, how are you? How are you enjoying your your experience more generally with the with the book? <laughs> it the stories of of Middle Earth. Whenever I return to them, reveal something new and mm. powerful to me. Mm -hmm. uh, this time, I'm particularly struck by. Uh, the the letter to a potential publisher of Lord of the Rings at, at, the, at the front it's the preface mm -hmm. of the text and just just Tolkien's exploration or explication of his theology of creativity uh, just mm -hmm. grabbed me by the throat this time it's just it's so beautiful um, you know to to understand so much of Middle Earth as this meditation and then this the history of Arda as this meditation on you know, the, the human and the elvish obviously and, and the, but generally the capacity of creatures to create uh, we make still by the law in which we're made as tolkien says in <laughs> the mm -hmm. and and that sense of um 
even Melkor, even Sauron, even the even even the evil characters and are in their origins good. And there is something so so glorious about this this story of that's really about about fundamentally about creativity, I think. Mm, um, mm. in some important ways and i hadn't i hadn't caught that flavor in it the last time i i was with this material and but this time it's so clear right you know right mm-hmm. from the beginning music of the iron or <laughs> the whole mm. uh, ugh, just it, it makes it gives me the shivers i love it <laughs> fantastic i'll be interested to see um yeah how, how you take the or how you feel about the the final few um chapters that'll be that'll be fantastic um but yes the silmarillion is i i think I don't know if I like it more than the Lord of the Rings, but, um, you know, it's certainly, uh, I think equal in my, um, in my judgment in some regards at, in, at any rate. Um, although obviously presented in quite a different, uh, different way, but, um, I guess we can get into the, the main topic for today, which is really, as we've mentioned, um, sort of queer readings, feminist readings, etc. Uh, we've talked a bit, a bit, a little bit about, um, Molly Ostertag's article and sort of the backlash and also this urge um, on the part of, you know, readers to, to want to, um, to really, you know, center their own, um, you know, their own in- interpretive, I guess, frameworks um, as, as we all do to an extent. But, you know, obviously this, this particular, um, this particular argument has, uh, has motivated a lot of discussion and in the article, um, Molly's Ostertag's article, and we won't go too much into detail because, as I said, I, I might try and um, talk with Molly a little bit more about the article in particular. But an argument is made, um, you know, essentially um, that, that that the relationship between Frodo of Sam can be understood um, within the text itself as, um, you know, as, as again more capacious, more capaciously, let's say, than a a friendship, um, and that there are undertones there that um, that people, you know, have reported and have 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 um, have noted throughout the years that are not um, that are deliberate, perhaps um, might we say. So I don't know. I, I guess how do you respond um, to that article, and is that something in your reading that that has always been, say, obvious to you, or at least um, you know something that that struck you as um, as plausible, I guess. It's quite funny to me because until actually I began to, to interact with, with Molly Ostertag on Twitter mm. and, and other fans, uh, I'd never really participated in, in Tolkien fandom in that way. I'd been very much on, on the scholarly end of things and, and reading uh, mm. you know, the scholarship and sort of interacting with, with folks who were who are digging deep into the texts in that way, but I hadn't really done a lot of Tolkien fandom, weirdly enough. Mm. Um, and and to find to find it online and to find people who are reading these characters as openly, you know, just just deliberately, they're saying these my reading of these characters is as queer, right? Mm-hmm. And and it initially I bristled against that not because I, I I'm bisexual, my my partner's uh, gender expansive, some of the most people, important people in my life are transgender um, down the list. I'm not because I find it offensive the idea that Sam and Frodo are gay or whatever you want to call it queer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but because for me, I'd historically written it as oh my god, look at look at masculinity and talking. Right, like look at how these characters are able to be so tender and and loving toward one another, and it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so so it, it took a minute for me to actually kind of wrap my head around the idea that oh, but that you could absolutely read it as being romantic if you wanted to, right? And that and that the text actually actively supports that in the kind of language that Tolkien uses in the, uh, particularly in, in moments, for instance, where Sam uh, defends Frodo against Shelob and, and Tolkien compares it to a, a, an animal protecting its mate against mm. a predator and <laughs> uh, the unpublished epilogue where... Where, where Sam's daughter Eleanor draws the contrast, but, or not the contrast, but the comparison between Frodo and Sam and uh, Galadriel and Celeborn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and just and and I just reread the Lord of the Rings uh, aloud to my my infant son recently <laughs> finished about a month ago, and which was mm. oh my god, oh my god, <laughs> talk about waterworks, my god. Yes, I sort of followed uh, that but, on Twitter, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I li- I live tweeted my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> 
But this time, having having been introduced to that interpretive framework, having been introduced to the idea of these characters as queer, like it just jumped off the page at me. Mm-hmm. As, of course, what it's it, you don't even have to work at it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, like yeah. once I could see it, it was it's like one of those magic eye posters, right? Like you don't see it until you do. Do you know what I'm talking about? The yeah, the ones yeah. that you had to stare at and they kind of pop. Yeah, okay. So. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> never sure who knows my references uh, but, but but once you realize it's there it's like oh of course of course it was there the whole time and i didn't see it mm. and i do you have to read it that way not if you don't want to that's my that's you, you don't you can read it as a very tender um uh, heterosexual or platonic relationship i should say but you can also read it as this very beautiful queer romance story. And I think that there's, there are, there are shades of meaning and, and, and loveliness that come out in the text in a way that I hadn't noticed them before because I'm now reading it this way or I'm reading it open to this interpretation. I think it's beautiful mm-hmm. um, in a way that I may not have noticed before. Yeah, for sure. I think I, um, I noticed myself on my own recent reread. I sort of spent the first half of this year reading it. Um, so I guess that was kind of before the article came out. Um, it was in June, but but still, I think I was perhaps primed, more or at least more primed um, to to see something like that. And I think the parts of the book that have become my favourite now are, you know, those chapters in book uh, what is it, book four, when they're um, they're trudging to Mordor, and then yes. and then sort of book uh, book six when they when they sort of actually get there, um, you know, and the the, the sort of the dynamic between Frodo, Sam and Gollum, it's so well done actually and quite tender. And um, I tend to tend to think the films butchered that a bit, but anyway, that's another, that's another discussion. <laughs> oh, you don't want to get me started. <laughs> are you, uh, well, okay. Well, well let, let's go down that rabbit hole just for five minutes. Um, are, are you a, um, are you a film, a Jackson fan in general or, or not really <laughs> out of interest? I'm rather insufferable to watch the films with because I mm, seesaw mm. back and forth between just, just, just tears of joy at how beautifully he captures the scenes and moments <laughs> and characterizations and the music and, and just the, the swelling grandeur of it all. And then five minutes later, I'm raging at the screen about how Peter Jackson <laughs> fundamentally misunderstands Tolkien's moral universe. It's uh, I don't recommend watching. Yeah, it's, no, it's fair enough. Trip. I feel um, like <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I have a similar, yep, a similar reaction every time. I, I, I actually, I did a, a rewatch recently, um, and I think I was quite insufferable to my housemates. But anyway, <laughs> it was it was fun to, to revisit them. I guess after a few years. And w- one of the things I realized about that, um, just to, just to entertain mm, the, mm. The, uh, <laughs> the tangent for a moment, is I read the Lord of the Rings uh, in. 2001 before the films came out before i even knew there were films going to come out it's been Mm. i had my Mm. own ideas about what the text was and what the story was even before i saw peter jackson's films and i was i was only 11 at the time but i have never i have never encountered the films on their own terms i've never been able to encounter them Mm. as anything but an adaptation of the books Mm. so i don't i don't actually understand what it means to be somebody for whom the films were their introduction Mm. to middle Mm. earth and and I wonder how much of my uh, insufferability mm-hmm. watching them stems from that fact is the fact that I'm not encountering this the way that many people of, of my generation and, and others for that matter, younger generations, did, which is this is this is the story that they that they met first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have no I have no way of taking off the I have no way of of, of uh, taking putting on blinders and not being able to, to see it as a, a brilliant but imperfect at times mm-hmm. it, it frustratingly imperfect yeah. adaptation of Tolkien's text um, yeah. so I'm I'm hoping that as I get older I can be more generous to Peter Jackson's <laughs> interpretation mm-hmm. but don't talk to me about Faramir just never talk to me about <laughs> Faramir oh gosh yeah um, I mean it sounds like <laughs> it sounds like we're the same age then because yeah I was about 11 when Fellowship came out or 10 um, but I definitely saw that film in the cinemas. I have a very distinct memory of that um, before I'd read any of the books, but then I think I read the books uh, before the two tales came out. So I was sort of in the middle, um, but I think, yeah, I think I have the same, the same reaction. I sort of um, the books are definitely the central, 
um, you know, the, the central pillar for me, the films are sort of um, very secondary <laughs> as as, sure. um, as interpretations of the of the work. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> bit of a film tangent. I guess it's hard to avoid avoid Jackson really. Um, True. But um, yeah, I, I guess getting back to the 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 discussion, um, you know, I guess the the question of, of Frodo and Sam um, in the Lord of the Rings, especially the books, of course. Um, brings up the question, and I think you mentioned it before, sort of um, masculinity in general. Um, you know, there have been some essays or, or at least some um, some arguments made recently that um, in a more general sense there's something, um, uh, I, I don't know, that there's something positive or, um, you know, efficacious about masculinity in in, in The Lord of the Rings generally. Um, I, you know, I, I think... It'll be interesting to see with your reading the Silmarillion now what you think of that because there's there's quite a few characters who are who are not quite as uh, likable, shall we say, as Aragorn um, or or the book book Faramir. But how do you, how do you think about masculinity in general in the Lord of the Rings? Um, and I want to also bring in the question here of um, the critique that I see less of these days, but used to be a major critique. Maybe it still is in some parts that the Lord of the Rings is somehow a lesser book because there were fewer women characters in it. I feel like. You know, as I, I've put in my notes, I, I feel maybe people have moved on from that that debate. I feel like that that sort of that score keeping kind of approach is is less um, less popular now. But I, I don't know. How do you think about that? I guess there's two questions in there, but but I'll let you riff on it. <laughs> sure. As to masculinity, I mean, I think that Frodo and Sam are sort of a a, a test case of that. As I said earlier whether you read that as a, as a love story in a, in a romantic sense or a love story in a platonic sense, because it's a love story, whether you like it or not, whether you, whether you uh, impute romantic qualities to that is, is up to the reader. Um, but the, the, they're iconic of the Lord of the Rings. And I think Tolkien's work in general, insofar as their masculinity is, it's positive masculinity as, as a contrast to toxic masculinity, right? Like it's, it's mm. extremely positive. They love one another. They express their love for one another. They are physically affectionate. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, and, and particularly I think heroism in Tolkien is not, uh, certainly in the Lord of the Rings anyway, is not constructed around these kind of uh, classical ultra macho heroic tropes. Mm. You know, mm. there is, I, I think a lot of, a lot of, copycat fantasy um, really misunderstood Tolkien when they made their heroes, the Aragorns of the world instead of the Frodo's of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, not, not that to say that Aragorn is a, uh, he's actually a very positive masculine presence. It's a masculinity that is predicated on defense of others, on honor, on, on commitment, on friendship. Mm. Um, the, the way he interacts with Boromir, the way he interacts with Aemir, uh, the other, you know, kind of, kind of big dude bros, if you will, of, <laughs> mm. of the narrative is is one of blood brothers. It's one of of deep respect for one another as people and care for one another as as fellow warriors and as fellow men. Um, mm-hmm. And but but I think that that much fantasy ha- went in the direction of oh well the Aragorn the the king the warrior the 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 lord is the interesting character and Tolkien is. Uh, pretty consistent in subverting that in his text, not I, particularly in the Lord of the Rings, which might be one of the reasons it's my favorite of his texts. Mm, but even mm. even the examples of things like uh, like the, like Baron and Luthien, Baron is definitely not wearing the pants in that relationship. Uh, <laughs> if you'll forgive a uh, <laughs> rather <laughs> sexist metaphor, um, but but the idea that this this band and and outlawed man. And his his partner, the uh, you know, sort of just a maiden, that they're the ones who are going to bring down, uh, going to be able to get their hands on a Silmaril, not the armies of the Noldor, not mm. the armies of men, but these two people who are in love, acting out of love for one another and a commitment to one another and to goodness, mm. that is actually going to be the thing that that wins the day. Um, and that, of course, is a very direct and obvious parallel, and I would call it an explicit parallel to to Frodo and Sam mm-hmm. in in the Lord of the Rings. But there is this sense that in Tolkien that the traditional masculine virtues—I shouldn't say the traditional masculine virtues—the 
um, what are seen in mm. certain quarters as the masculine virtues of things <laughs> like uh, strength and and you know sure. uh, warrior culture and and honor in in a, in a really um, kind of yeah, macho over the, kind of, over the top sense. Yeah. That's yeah, mach, machismo, right? The, mm-hmm. That's not that's not the character. That's not the heroism and the masculinity that Tolkien presents. And to the extent that it appears in characters, um, I think you'd mentioned like like Turin, Tarambar, or or <laughs> Feanor. Yeah, um, uh, it is they are they are not coded as uh, uh, role models. Mm. I, I, I don't. I don't see them framed as role models. I, th- I see them framed as these very powerful and interesting and conflicted figures. But they're not the kind of uh, clear, virtuous uh, role model that, say, Aragorn or Faramir is. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting talk about Turin. Um, that's my favorite story in Tolkien. Actually, my favorite book. And mm. um, yeah, I think because his his character is explicitly said to. Um, you know, to have a very caring nature and side, so shall we say, and yet obviously <laughs> for those who know the story, um, things don't exactly work out. So I think it's interesting. Um, I mean, that, that would that would be a whole whole essay perhaps for, for someone to write. Um, but, um, yeah, the sort of internal um, conflict in Turin, for example, between his, <laughs> what we might say, healthy masculinity and and his machismo or aggression is, is um, you know, a central part of that story um, and and quite interesting. Whereas a figure like Aragorn seems to have shorn himself um, of, you know, all those um, sort of internal problems by the time we, um, by the time we meet him in the Lord of the Rings, if indeed he ever, you know, he ever had, had those, those sort of, um, you know, violent and impulsive character traits. I, I doubt it for in Aragorn's case, but <laughs> um <laughs> But um, but yeah, Turin is a is an interesting and instructive contrast, and and Feanor, of course, is just um, <laughs> his own thing, I think. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So no, that's interesting, and and yeah, I, I guess I'd just be interested to to hear what you think about the other part of that question, or you know, my other the other part of the ramblings that I that I gave before. You know, is it a um, I don't know. I, Women in Tolkien, this this question, especially the Lord of the Rings, is, is that something that 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 is still a question for for critical um, for critical discussion? I mean, obviously, it still it still is, um, and it probably will be for a while. But but is that that critique that the Lord of the Rings is a lesser work because, well, you know, it doesn't have so many female characters? Is that something that still that you still hear hear a lot, or should or or of these new perhaps discourses? Um, Sort of supplanted some of that old, um, that old discourse, I guess, around um, femininity, women in Tolkien, and things like that. My observation is more toward the latter. That certainly, of course, uh, there are, uh, by the sheer numbers, fewer women t- characters in Tolkien than there are male characters, mm. and particularly in the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is, you know, there's a kind of. Uh, you know, early 2010s sort of (laughs) not particularly creative feminist read of that, right? And it's kind of like, well, there are no women in it. Therefore, that means that uh, the text is necessarily patriarchal. And I think that, hey, fair enough. There aren't a lot of women in this text. Uh, It would be, it's, it's, that that's a fair critique. I don't think there's any dancing around that. I think it's worth mm. looking at, of course, uh, and um, you know maybe as a uh, uh, as a white guy in a straight passing relationship, uh, maybe this is not entirely my lane. Um, but I do. I've I've heard from a number of, of feminist scholars and just you know women and otherly gendered uh, readers of Lord of the Rings and of Tolkien in general that if you look into the characters themselves, so Eowyn or Galadriel. Um, particularly in Lord of the Rings, uh, that you find a much... It's not as simple as the men do all the work and have all the battle uh, glory (laughs) Mm. and the women stand on the sidelines. I mean, Eowyn is obviously a counterexample to that, but in this Mm. last reread, I was struck by her uh, her very, very uh, feminist rebuke to Aragorn, who's like, you need to stay Mm. here, you need to take care of your people. And she says, that is simply to say that uh, you may remain in the house because the men no longer have need of it. And Mm. in the final final hour, you may be burned in it. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, 
<laughs> Whoa! Like that, it's 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 right on the money. Like he is he's doing his best to be kind and to 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 um you know to to, to get, get her to fulfill her duty to her people or to encourage her to fulfill her duty to her people. But she nails it. She mm-hmm. nails that mm-hmm. kind of uh, the what might even be said uh, patronizing or paternalistic. Yeah. Uh, languaging toward her and i think i think it's great in that even aragorn can come off as uh as condescending mm, right and mm, that she mm. she really and, and so i love that right and i think i think the galadriel as a character is much more nuanced than simply playing the sort of chaste virgin mother oh yeah uh, mm. goddess energy <laughs> she is uh, obviously i mean especially if you read the silmarillion and the related material she's obviously mm, got mm. a lot going on um, but just the 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 power she embodies and the the sense of uh, you know mm. the idea talking right somewhere or another that uh, none at the end of the third age none could have conquered Lothlorien but Sauron himself because Galadriel mm. held that much power in the land and was then able to to embody that much. Uh, goodness and that much virtue and that much energy there and 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 we see that of course in her interaction with 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 frodo in the fellowship of the ring and uh, but just just the sense that that femininity in tolkien is more nuanced and more complicated than it would appear from simply taking a head count of mm, women characters mm, mm. Uh, in the books yep. and hey fair enough absolutely fair enough that there aren't a lot of guys being mentioned there uh you know there aren't a lot of guys mentioned or a lot of not a um uh, a women mentioned in the new <laughs> testament either unfortunately mm. they are there yep. and if you look at them particularly people like mary magdalene or mary the mother of jesus they're much more complicated and interesting than you might guess based on some particularly patriarchal christians reading of them um <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. <laughs> what can I say? I, I, uh, I, there are two books I know really well. <laughs> no, that's fair. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, have you ever? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if you've had a chance to read um, Eldarion and Arendus from Unfinished Tales. The uh... it has been a while, but mm. I am I'm familiar with that. I don't right. remember the outlines of the story very well. Mm. Um, but oh, it, that's it, right. to me, it's been a good 15 years. But right, yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah, um, Arendus is a very a very interesting character in in that regard. If you ever um, if you ever get get to that book again, um, just FYI. So yeah, I, I guess. Lovely. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess I guess we can move on from from that general discussion. But just just to you know to tie to tie a bow on that, I, I guess it's interesting and it will be interesting going forward to see how um, yeah how Tolkien fandom and Tolkien studies in general. I guess, uh, reacts to, engages with, um, you know, new voices. And gosh, I follow so many new people on Twitter who are doing PhDs or they're, you know, just writing about Tolkien or tweeting about Tolkien or doing Tolkien art or something like that. And it's just really good to see. My feeling is that there's a sort of efflorescence of um, of the fandom. Um, you know, m- maybe it's motivated in part by the Amazon show, although my impression is that that's not really the case. I think my, my impression is that it's motivated just by people discovering the books and reading the books and perhaps the movies. Um, but it's really good to see. So as this Amazon show comes out, it'll be, you know, it'll be fascinating to see what they do with some of that material. And um, it was, it was my observation, at least in the corner of the Tolkien fandom that I mm-hmm. occupy that the, the first stills from the, the Amazon show came out and everybody was very excited. And mm-hmm. then we got our first excerpts from the nature of middle earth and, and everybody was gaga for the, the suggestion that there's uh, gender expansiveness in elves. And granted, I occupy a particular corner of the Tolkien fandom on Twitter. Uh, so <laughs> sure. that may not be entirely generalizable, but but I agree with you. Like it's this interesting thing of people seem to be coming to the text mm. and the stories and the movies. Um, and it doesn't seem to be motivated, at least in my observation by the, the fact of this gigantic uh, series being mm. In, mm. in the works. It seems that people, maybe it's just because things run in a 20 year cycle and we're all remembering where we were and how we were when we first saw the <laughs> yeah. fellowship of the ring 20 years ago. Um, maybe there's something in this, like the natural nostalgia cycle like that. But I do notice that, that um, even uh, I got my copy of the, the bulletin of the Tolkien society. I'm on hen uh, this last week and the, the, and, and their use of, of diverse 
uh, diverse representation of, of figures from Middle Earth is so... I just think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful that, that we are able, because of the... In many ways, because of the internet and because of the the quality of the discourse, to be able to mm-hmm. reimagine Middle Earth in this new mm-hmm. light, it's really yeah, I find it terribly exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I guess it just for me brings to mind, um, you know, a question um, that I've been thinking about recently, which which is that I don't know I listen to another talking podcast. I won't name names, but well, I listen to a few, but um, um, yeah, <laughs> it's particularly. Um, uh, it's particularly religious, I guess, of a certain um, of a certain more conservative bent, shall we say? And um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the podcast is interesting and it's it's good, and the, the you know um, the the guests are you know very insightful. But you know, there's a clear there's a clear sense when listening to this podcast, you know, for example, just to take an example, that um, that these sort of readings will not be welcome, and that they're not going to be you know they're not going to be interviewing molly or or you know anyone anyone associated shall we say with 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 that side of fandom um whether you call that the mainstream side or not and i don't know i just um i sort of thought okay although there's a bit of an efflorescence here i'm also seeing a siloing of perhaps it's just reflecting of cult, reflective culture in general now but um you know a, a siloing of the fandom into different camps um maybe this was always the case i don't know but um you know, I sort of wrote on, on my Twitter the other day, on the, the podcast Twitter, um, that, you know, I, w- I want to, on this podcast, I want to be able to, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of set up as a, a secular space, you know, for, for readers of, you know, any, any kind. Um, and I'm sort of keen to interview different, different people and talk to different kinds of fans. But, um, but yeah, that that's the goal. But, <laughs> but, um, you know, whether or not that comes to fruition or not, but, I don't know if you've noticed anything like that as well. And is it, my feeling is it's going to be important to reach out and talk to, you know, people of, of different persuasions. Um, not always, not, not to agree with them and, and, and to sort of mollycoddle, but to, um, you know, to have a dialogue, sometimes critical in nature, perhaps. Um, but um, I don't know how, how you would think about that. Um, but, yeah, my impression is with a lot of this, I guess it's just, again, the culture war stuff in general, but um, there is a, a bit of siloing going on um, that I find, you know, is, is sad because is this not something that should, in theory, bring us all together, at least to some extent? I don't know. Or is that is that sort of utopian and silly and naive? <laughs> Well, I've actually been working on an article uh, mm. on exactly that. Oh, right. out in about a little less than a week here, actually. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I won't give too much of that away. But mm. I do think that there's this very interesting thing that the Lord of the Rings and Tolkien in general is um, and has, since its publication, been received positively, enthusiastically mm. by, by people of, of all a lot of different political and theological and aesthetic and and literary persuasions. It is, Mm, it's mm. quite remarkable just how broad the fandom is for this text, just how broad the level of engagement is and the extent to which one can work out a a relatively coherent uh, Mm. ideological or theological reading of it. Uh, from from a variety of perspectives. So I, as a progressive uh, Christian, uh, a socialist, mm-hmm. a feminist, uh, a queer theorist, I can go to the Lord of the Rings and I find in the text support for uh, an eco- for ecology, for an ecological view of the world. I see a critique of industrialization and a critique of um, uh, domination of all kinds. I, I mm. find positive masculinity and I find uh, queer subtexts or sometimes just texts. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I find, you know, something I've noticed recently is, uh, uh, you know, in, in talking about Numenorean settlement in Middle Earth during the Second Age, Tolkien points mm. out that uh, it was after their decline, so it was as they were falling away toward evil that they actually started to colonize Middle Earth and started yeah. extracting tribute yeah. from Harad and from the <laughs> east. And I think that's really interesting because if you want to do a sort of surface level reading of of Numenorians in Middle Earth, well, you could say that it's Westerners coming into the east and 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 colonizing it because they're better than everybody else, right? That is. Mm. 
I don't think that's a particularly nuanced read, but it is there in the text if that's what you want to do with it, right? Mm, mm, mm. Um, which is, again, this is exactly how people tend to treat the Bible. If you, if you go you go into the text looking for what you already believe, and then you find justification for it. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, Often is often the case. Uh, but, but I simply point this out to say that what, that's, what that speaks to me of is the enduring power of the work that we can come to it that, that, a, that a very conservative Catholic and an mm-hmm. evangelical Protestant and somebody of no faith whatsoever and uh, somebody of uh, a Muslim or a Buddhist or, or what, you know, what have you, that, that all of which I'm familiar with people from different faith traditions or from no faith tradition, people who are, are staunch conservatives or moderate liberals or mm. outright, you know, socialist liberationists, that we can all come <laughs> to this text and find meaning and value in it mm. in a way mm. that uh, I, I, I haven't seen that with many texts other than the Bible, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure there are others, but it just astonishes me and it consistently delights me. Um, (laughs) Well, it does delight me. It also, I think, I think you're absolutely right about the, the, the siloing effect, because I think there are some really great, you know, the thing about a lot of conservative Christians is that I will follow them. Absolutely. I think there's a really good analysis. They're really putting their finger on something important about mm. spirituality and about the way we live in the world, the way we define our identities and relationship to our communities and to our God. And then you talk about not letting women talk in church and it's like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was with you. I was with you 98% of the way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I was with you until you became an apologist for American empire. Like, come on. That's how I feel about um, this. Well, that one particular podcast, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the fact that, you know, looking back at the way that evangelicals, for instance, uh, mm. encountered Lord of the Rings uh, when it, when the films came out in the early two thousands, they held them up as good fantasy and sort of this icon of, of good values, like, like loyalty and honesty and self-sacrifice and humility and they are you know like correct that is absolutely true those are values that uh, are consistent with the stated values at least of uh, of many conservative christian uh, groups <laughs> and again note stated um, i'm not saying that i'm necessarily better at following them i'm just saying sometimes there's a mismatch between what we say we believe and what we do um, <laughs> yeah yeah for sure <laughs> um, yep yep uh, but but that those val- the, the values like that are, are are universal, or if not universal, at least widely applicable in human experience. And I think that's mm. a testament to the what Tolkien succeeded in. Yep. Yeah. No. For sure. That that's good. So, yeah. No. It'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah. Going forward, how the fandom um, how the fandom expands, and um, which no doubt it will in coming years because of the show. Um, but also, you know, how different. Um, elements of the fandom, I guess, interact. That's, I don't know, something that increases increasingly just interests me. But, um, you know, I guess to sort of close out, you know, I've mentioned before that, or you've mentioned rather, that um, that you were sort of live blogging or live tweeting, I should say, um, you know, your reread um, of, the, of the book sort of recently, and I was following a lot of that um, with interest. And, and, you know, I'm just interested for you personally, um, you know, where does that deep admiration um, for the book, for the Lord of the Rings, um, stem from? Because I, I, I feel sort of, you know, an affinity with those um, those reactions, and it's definitely it's definitely the same for me. Um, so I'd just be interested in in your you know your response to that. So Middle Earth <laughs> where to begin? has been in yeah, that's a just big sigh. Um, Middle Earth has been in my blood since, uh, in my bones since the day I was born. My father mm. read me The Hobbit aloud when I was too young to remember it. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember a world in which I didn't know the the words to all the songs in the 1977 Rankin Bass <laughs> animated Hobbit. Right. Um, can't remember that world. It's 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 lodged in there, um, mm-hmm. and. And I didn't read The Lord of the Rings until I was older, because uh, until I was eleven, because I didn't have the reading comprehension to do it yet. Um, sure. But as soon as I found it, it mm. 
I find it difficult to articulate how much these books mean to me. And I think part of that lies in the way they bridge grief mm-hmm. and joy. Mm-hmm. There's something about these texts that, uh, about this story of the world kind of sucks. There's a lot of evil in it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, it's not the way it should be, or it's not the way it could be. Uh, much that we love is is passing away before our eyes, and and our efforts to change the world seem, on their face, foolhardy. Mm. Um, a fool's hope, yep. as, as Gandalf <laughs> says, yeah. um, at some point or another. And and that just that deep and abiding sense. Number one, that 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 comfort, not the confrontation, the awareness, the reality of the, the, the grief of being human and being in the world and the commitment to go on mm-hmm. to, to friendship, to community, to beauty, to love, to the, the light that, that shines and the shadow is only a small and passing thing. And there's, there's light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. My favorite passage in the Lord <laughs> of the Rings, Sam looks up, sees Arendel yep. in, in Mordor. That, 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 that's it to me. It's, yeah. it's something I can't put words to, but is inspires the way that I live. It, it, mm. it inspires my work as a minister. It is, I can't tell you how much it meant to share that aloud with my son to have the first book mm. he ever heard <laughs> in this world be the Lord of the Rings. That's um, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, the day the day he was born, I read I read the opening uh, paragraph <laughs> of, of yep. an unexpected uh, party or a long expected party to him, and that yep. mm, it's, I... it's the bed it's the bedrock of my sense of story. It's the bedrock of my sense of what story can do for us and to us, and I don't have any. I feel words fall really short of it. Mm, um, I feel mm. words really fall short of it, but I'm so, I, I love it so, so, so much. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. I'm just curious, was there um, w- was there a conscious choice around starting with fellowship as opposed to the hobbits? Or is that something that might come come later um, as well? Or, I mean, in terms of reading to your own, to your son? <laughs> uh, well, um, uh, it's honestly because we were, uh, I, I just finished reading the Hobbit to the uh, kid's mom. Uh, um, right, so I'd right. been reading it aloud that, that was something we do as a couple. We read aloud books mm. to one another. So I just finished the uh, Hobbit and then, uh, yep. and then my son Ari came into the world and Hey, it was, it was the right time. Just to the right time. <laughs> right. No, that makes sense. Yeah, no, that that's cool. Yeah. I just, just um just curious about that yeah i think that's that's beautiful and i I, i'm curious about you know on my own recent reread um as i mentioned i I sort of went back to it the first half of the year um i was struck by i mean that that passage you mentioned is beautiful where sam sees the star um but i was also struck by frodo as a character who often is overlooked in favor of sam um, he often feels like a bit of a blank slate, perhaps in people's minds. Um, but what do you think of Frodo as a character? I, I sort of, every time I read the book, I grow to appreciate Frodo a little bit more. Um, maybe as I'm getting older, I'm getting more sort of, I, I don't know if Frodo's a, a, he's not cynical exactly, but he, he's, um, his, his heart's sort of not in it in the same way that Sam's is. I'm not quite sure how to how to put it, but I don't I don't know if you would yeah if you had had any reflections on on, on Frodo as a character um, from your recent read through. But it's just something I was thinking about. My take on Frodo is that he's very tired and very sad. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I don't, I don't mean those as like, he's a, he, Oh, he's just a sad boy. He's just a, no, no, he's, just yeah. a he's just mopey. I don't, I don't read him that way, but that he perhaps uniquely among hobbits or, or certainly sort of understands the, the grief of the elves Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. He he understands the loss. I mean, he lost his parents young, and then he loses his uh, his gay uncle, if you will. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, at, at his birthday party, um, and his his father's surrogate, his parental surrogate, um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then is tasked with this truly impossible thing 
um, that that ultimately nobody nobody in Middle Earth could could have probably withstood the lore of the ring at the end, right? And so Frodo mm. goes through this experience, is deeply traumatizing, having had a, a, a bit of a um, tragic backstory of his own, which you don't think about, it kind of passes in the mm. first couple mm. of chapters, but the idea yeah. that Frodo has this identification or this understanding of the grief at the heart of the elves leaving Middle-earth, and then that that continues. I, uh, you know, to my, my, my inner image of Frodo is often with a sad kind of smile on his face mm. and that that becomes more and more just dogged um, and beaten down the further along <laughs> he gets and the heavier the ring gets mm. Mm. Um, and, and that that's what distinguishes him from Sam I think is that he's just put your head down move <laughs> forward keep moving forward to the best of your ability and when you can't move forward anymore well then God Sam's there to keep you moving <laughs> yeah absolutely and I think and I think it's a quieter character he doesn't have the kind of Labrador retriever like loyalty <laughs> and faithfulness and energy that Sam does mm. um, who is mm. by the way probably my favorite character in all of fiction Sam Gamgee right yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but Frodo I think is really compelling if but quieter and and more mm. sad. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, definitely. I definitely see that especially towards towards the end of the book. Um I guess just a, a question to finish on with regards to the Lord of the Rings book itself then is you know another question I've been thinking about recently um in light of a lot of discussion um about the end ending of the Lord of the Rings which of course people talk about a lot at least in my experience um you know is it is it a tragedy or is it a, a tragic comedy how do you how do you sort of um how do you take the end of the book um is it a happy ending <laughs> that is such a hard question to answer <laughs> yeah sorry um, to bring that on you. <laughs> I, I i believe that it is i mean tragic comedy gets closer to it mm. um I'd call it a bittersweet ending. Sure. More than happy or sad. Um, mm, mm. Our, our protagonist is, is too traumatized to remain in, in the world, to remain in the land that he, his actions uh, saved, the, the land that he went in on the quest for in the first place. Mm, um, mm. And, and yes, the, the king returns and it's a beautiful summer and, and Sam has too many children to count and, <laughs> and uh, Sauron is overthrown, and 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 it, it, it all turns out, at least on the surface, very well. You know, it's it's, mm. it's a happy ending in the sense that our heroes survive and the evil is defeated, but the elves are leaving. Frodo leaves. Um, the Ents are dwindling. The dwarves are dwindling. There is this very real sense that we are passing out of this world of magic and mm. and and mystery and high beauty into the the world of the world of men and women and humans. Um, mm, I, yeah. I think uh, I could go on. I will, <laughs> sure. I will simply close that. Uh, I think it's very good that uh, Tolkien decided to cut the unpublished epilogue. I think mm, the Lord of the Rings mm. ends perfectly where it does. Yeah. And I am very good that the unpublished epilogue exists because the conversation between Sam and Eleanor about <laughs> You know what? What yeah. is our responsibility as those who now live in this quote-unquote happy ending? Well, our responsibility is to carry on the memory of what came before us, mm. and to to remind people that uh, that it was that there was there was there was high beauty and there was great drama and there was great evil, and that we live in we are the inheritors of that past, even if we aren't living in that same world. Mm. Mm. You know, I've never actually read read that epilogue or the you know, proposed epilogue I should, I should pick up. I guess it's in the history of Middle Earth somewhere. It's, it's in, uh, it's in Sauron defeated, uh, ah, but right. I can also, uh, there's a, there's a PDF of it out there that I can send you. Oh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that might be good. Um, yeah, fantastic. I'll, I'll definitely have to look at that because I've seen it. Obviously I've seen it, uh, referenced, but yeah, I've just, just never got around to actually acquiring it. Um, I think I have, I have a few history of Middle Earth, Books, but not not that one. <laughs> um, well, you know, I guess I guess we can sort of close out. It's been a lovely conversation, lovely to have you on the podcast. So, you know, you've mentioned that you're um, sort of working on a, a paper or, or an article. Um, 
how do you see the future for you and Tolkien? You mentioned that, and this is something else that I've, I've sort of, you know, seen you um, or followed on Twitter, as it were. You, you mentioned Tolkien a lot in, in the ministry, in your ministry, um, which I think is great. Um, so um, I'm guessing I'm guessing that will continue. But but what else? What else is on the cards, as it were? So uh, my my Twitter handle is at real Tom Emmanuel, uh, and you can follow me there for all of my uh, silly and not so silly takes about Lord of the Rings <laughs> and information about you know how much I love my infant child, uh, and I. I will have an article or an essay out uh, mm-hmm. later uh, this week. So if you check my Twitter, you'll find it there. I uh, don't want to mm. give things away too, yet, quite yet. Nope, I look um, forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but also I'm, uh, you know, I continue to use Tolkien. I mean, if it weren't clear, the stories undergird my, my sense of what, what stories are and how we use them and how we make meaning with them. So in mm. some sense, I'm always using the Lord of the Rings in my ministry. Yeah. Uh, I am, in preliminary stages of working on a course, uh, a church course, well, specifically for church people, but open to anyone really, uh, the mm-hmm. gospel according to Tolkien, oh, nice. um, yep. which I hope to, to offer either at the end of this year or sometime early next in 2022. And I am uh, on the ground level of uh, putting together some kind of YouTube content around Tolkien and okay. thinking about the stories and Mm. So, uh, if 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 you if you like what I had to say, you can keep your eye on my Twitter account because that's where I post updates for all these things. Oh, fantastic! Thank you. Oh, well, I look forward to um, yeah, the YouTube, um, the the Tolkien YouTube community is, is growing a lot as well. Um, I post these, I do post the um, the podcast there, but I don't really do anything with it. So perhaps I should think about that myself. But um, yeah, look, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's been really lovely to, to have you on as a guest and to discuss your your perspective. So, um, you know, we'll look through, forward to all of that material and look forward to reading, um, yeah, the, this essay coming out soon, um, considering what we've discussed. So that'll be fascinating. So thanks again and all the best. Hey, thanks for having me on, Ben. It's been a pleasure. No worries. Peace.